0: Hello everybody, my name is Mike Petralia of CLNS Media, and this is my inaugural experience with the Patriots Beat Podcast, and it's my pleasure and my privilege to introduce Steve Balistrieri of patsfans.com. You saw him a couple of weeks ago, Uh, Steve and myself uh, did a video from Patriots Camp, and now we're a couple of weeks into Patriots Camp, actually, uh, officially Steve, uh, Patriots camp has closed to the public after the first preseason game, a 31-24 loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And now we are on to the Houston Texans. And I want to get right to it. Uh, Some interesting comments today uh, from Julian Edelman. Some interesting comments on Tuesday, the first of two joint practices with the Houston Texans at the Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia. Julian Edelman, I think, really, Steve, summing up exactly what training camp joint practices are all about, saying that this is a great opportunity to get practice with another team and really raise the level of competition. He called it the brother syndrome. He said, you go out. I I thought
1: that was fantastic. That was a great way to put it, wasn't it?
0: I thought so. And and he says you go out and your mom's not around. You're with your brother all, all day. You guys are hanging out and you guys just end up beating up each other. And when you go out and play with someone else, it's a little different because you get to have fun and you take pride that you're actually closer with your brother now who is there with you, and you work harder together as a family. And I think what the Patriots are trying to do with so many new faces in camp uh, this time around, and obviously a very talented roster about to take the field for the 2017 Patriots, guys like Stefan Gilmore, uh, obviously Brandon Cooks, Mike Gillisley, a lot of these guys haven't even been on the field yet. We'll get to that in a little bit. But to develop that bond, that chemistry... Uh, here in the training camp preseason environment, I think is critical because this is a different level than OTAs in minicamp. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. And we saw that. I mean, at the beginning of training camp, we saw them trying to come together and bond. They were, you know, we, we saw the, the players. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, tempers get a little short, as Edelman put it. You know, brother against brother. We, him and Gilmore had a little dust up. And we see that every year. But uh, you know, it's it's a great experience for these guys, and I think that this is going to be uh, th- this uh, you know joint practice session with the uh, th- the uh, Texans is going to be make them even better going down the road.
0: Well, so he was also asked Steve about Wes Welker, and I think this is a fascinating dynamic, at least to pay attention to for this week down in Houston, because I mean, obviously we're so. New England-centric, and we're so Patriots-focused up here in New England, that we don't pay attention to the details of former Patriots in other positions. And what everybody knows about the storylines with, obviously, Mike Rabel and Larry Izzo on the Texans' coaching staff. But Wes Welker is getting a chance to prove himself as an NFL coach, and asked today if that surprised Edelman he said not really Wes is such a smart intelligent football player he played a lot of years and he's a grinder now that the last part of that quote is the one that sticks out to me Steve because as an NFL head coach you've got to be a grinder this is a job that requires 10 to 12 14 hours a day you know 9 to 10 months a year if you're going to be a good NFL coach
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, and Welker had that kind of an attitude as a player. We saw that with the Patriots. He came here in 2007. I mean, when they made the trade for him, there wasn't a lot of, you know, high expectations when he came here. But he put the time in with Tom Brady. Those two were on the same page. That you'd see it, just like the the relationship he has now with Edelman and Gronkowski. He had with Walker. those two could just look at each other, recognize what was on the field in front of them, and uh, you know they could they could react without having to say anything. And that's the kind of work that you know he's going to have to put in as a coach, and that's the kind of work he put in as a player. I think he's going to be a good uh, football coach because he does have that mentality.
0: See, it's interesting you say that because I look at Mike Vrabel and that guy. It has an in-your-face approach, and he will coach techniques. He, he was even giving Tom Brady some crap uh, <laughs> on Tuesday during the joint practices, uh, like they used to when they played against each other in practices when they were th- with the Patriots. I thought that was great. That's a great storyline, but it really speaks to the intensity that Mike Brable brings to the coaching position. Wes Welker is a different bird, and I'm just – Very curious to see whether or not Welker's approach, which is not fire and brimstone, it's anything but, can translate as an NFL coach.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Those two are, as you said, they're night and day, you know, personality-wise. But, I I mean, I think as a coach, and and like any other uh, profession, you have to be yourself. You know, Rabel is that kind of, he's that kind of A personality. You know, Welker is more of the cerebral kind of guy, and he's a quieter, you know, lead by example. But I think he knows his job. He knows the position well enough where he can, you know, he'll be able to, uh, you know, bring that across to his, his young wide receivers. I think he's going to be good at it. I really do. I, I, I looked at his work ethic when he was with the Patriots and down, you know, down the road after he, even after he left. You know, he's put the time in, and I think he's going to do that with these young guys as well. I think he's going to be a good coach. We'll have to see.
0: Well, I mean, and it really will come down to how much do these players, do these ex-players want to commit themselves to the job of coaching. And I think that is the the number one question you always ask when you, you know, if you're a Belichick, if you're a Billy O'Brien, and you're interviewing a former player, how much do you does coaching really, really mean to you? Because this is what it's going to require.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because you're going to be a teacher now. You're now a teacher, and you have to be able to, you know, put the player in you aside and be able to. And we saw that with Bill Belichick uh, a week ago. You know, uh, you and I were, were talking about that just earlier offline, and you know, he was getting down into techniques with these young players, and he was showing them, hey. This is the way we do things here. He was teaching them how to block kicks, and he was getting down and dirty with the technique. And this is the angle we want you to do this in. I think Welker will have that kind of attitude as well. As Belichick, I mean, he's not a, he's not a real fire and brimstone guy, although he can be at times. We've seen that as well.
0: There's a big difference, Steve, and you know this, between emotion and intensity and focus. What Belichick is, is he's incredibly intense, he's incredibly focused, but he's not emotional. And that's the way Belichick gets his message across. The other thing I would say is, you're not just a teacher as a coach, you're an evaluator. And yeah. that's where I think a lot of these former NFL players who give you know a minute or two thought to, hey, maybe I do want to coach in the NFL then they think about the, the task at hand of making cold, hard judgments on players that they really like but not may not fit the system that the coaching staff um, or the head coach wants to implement.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that has to be the toughest job of a head coach, especially with some of these guys. And I've seen some of it on television. You know, you watch these hard-knock shows. And you see a guy that pours his heart and soul into trying to make a football team. And it's not for lack of trying for some of these guys and for the coach to have to bring him in, you know, to tell him, Hey, you know, uh, we're going to be letting you go. That has to be the toughest part of a coach's job. I I would think, I mean, uh, I had a certain kind of parallel aspect to that. I was a, uh, A teacher for the green berets in the army, and we'd have to tell some of the guys who, you know, put their time in, and you didn't make the cut, and that was a really difficult
0: part. I know for an NFL coach, it has to be even harder. Right, and and there's no—that's a great analogy um, to make, Steve, because I think, you know, whether you're leading an uh, an infantry, uh, you're leading green berets. Uh, or you are leading players in the National Football League, there are tough personnel decisions that have to be made and not everybody is on the team and not everybody can make the team. And, you know, that's one thing I think people forget about the National Football League in an age of sensitivity and trying to be, I think sometimes politically correct with what you say and what you do. and It's still a league of hard, cold decisions that have to be made. And sometimes feelings are going to get hurt and sometimes uh, dreams are going to be broken. And that's just any player who enters into an NFL training camp whose name is not Tom Brady or Rob Gronkowski uh, or Brandon Cooks has to understand that.
1: Yeah, and uh, that's the one thing I think Bill Belichick has, you know, that's his reputation that, you know, even guys like Mike Vrabel, who uh, from all accounts, Belichick loved Mike Vrabel. But when he felt like uh, he didn't have it anymore, he didn't hesitate to trade him. And, uh, you know, he's pulled other guys aside and let them go. Um, I, that's the cold, hard business side of this you know, there's only 32 teams in the NFL, and there's only 53 guys on each team. That's not very many. And, uh, unfortunately, a lot of these guys' dreams are going to come to an end. I mean, the Patriots have 90 guys on the roster. They're only going to keep 53 of them. 37 guys are going to go home with a long face.
0: Let me ask you something. Let's move on to two players that I think are going to come under closer and closer scrutiny uh, as we approach the second preseason game uh, and as we move on to, into preseason if they don't get on the field. Namely, Mike Gillisley on the offensive side of the ball and Stefan Gilmore uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, obviously, two new faces. Gillisley, you know, still, according to many reports that you read, uh, dealing with a bit of a hamstring that he had. Uh, early in OTAs, as a matter of fact. Uh, he's still dealing with that a little bit. Uh, and then Stefan Gilmore. The question I have for you, Stephen, you watch these guys very closely in training camp. How concerned are you, or when do you start to become very concerned about their ability to hit the ground running for the regular season?
1: Yeah, you know, with Gillisley, I, I think that it, they're just being cautious, and I, it's probably still sore with him, that hamstring, but You know, when he would go down into the the, uh, lower field and, you know, uh, people, uh, the fans hear about this all the time online, and you'll hear, oh, once practice started, so-and-so retreated to the lower practice field with the training staff. Well, I was watching uh, Gillisley do some running with the training staff, and I think uh, I'm not really concerned right now. I think uh, if this lingers on into the regular season, I think it will be time to be concerned with that, but it, it seemed like it's more of a precautionary tale with him. Now, with uh, Stefan Gilmore, you know, today was the first day that he hadn't practiced, and we don't know what his status is. If he can't go, that's a huge blow, I think, because you're looking at a guy paired with Malcolm Butler, who could be one of the best cornerback tandems in the league, if he's healthy, if he's not healthy and he can't go out and practice... It's going to be a huge blow to this defense.
0: Well, and and let's also caution people that the Patriots are not required to issue any type of injury report during the preseason. NFL teams are not required to uh, issue injury reports until 72 hours before week one uh, of the regular season. So we understand that. We get all of that. But still, when you don't see a player practicing, I'd say that's even more of a concern than when you don't see a player in a preseason game, because Absolutely. Belichick values these practices as gold. He said as much last week when he talked about the opportunities in joint practices with the Jaguars uh, to get reps for players. You know, the forty players who didn't play, uh, who suited up but did not play uh, against the Jaguars. You know, leading led by Tom Brady and Brandon Cooks uh, and Julian Edelman and the like. Uh, certainly, Belichick wants to get these guys on the practice field so he can work with them. When they're not on the practice field, to me, that's when the you know the red flags go up.
1: Absolutely, and you know, uh, one of the, on, in that same vein, the one guy I'm worried about right now is Nate Solder, who hasn't uh, who hasn't been practicing. He's been dinged up, and we've seen you know both Cameron Fleming and Adrian Waddle, and now Waddle got hurt today. Didn't finish practice, but both of those guys had had some issues last week against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and now they're playing a, a team in Houston that has a tremendous front seven. And um, you know, if, if Solder is going to be able to go, and now Waddles banged up, that's going to put the quarterbacks in a little bit of distress this
0: weekend. Well, and I got to tell you, Belichick, if that's the case, um, and you have. Clowney and clowny and jj watt and they're starting i'm certainly belichick would talk to billy o'brien about this but i don't think you expose tom brady to that at all i don't think no i wouldn't uh not for a preseason game i think you know
1: and if that's the case and brady's out there you're just going to hand the ball off a whole heck of a lot and uh let the chips fall where they may but it yeah, you don't want to subject Tom Brady to that. And I guess their linebackers uh, are really active today. Whitney Merciless, I, I heard, had a really big day. Um, and one of their rookies, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. But, yeah, this is. Uh, I'm, I'm actually more concerned with the Solder injury than I am with the
0: other two guys right now. I, I'll leave it at that as a caveat. Yeah, and and you know what? I mean. These injuries are nowhere near approaching what the Miami Dolphins are going through, obviously. They they lost another uh, cornerback today uh, to a torn Achilles, so uh, they're up against it. The rest of the division is just a mess, and I think everybody knows that. I think what the Patriots are trying to do, and wisely so, is they're trying to pace themselves and make sure that they have the right healthy bodies to start the regular season. And you know, I wrote about it earlier um, this week on CLNS Media uh, and clnsradio.com that uh, obviously Bill Belichick knows better than anybody else how to really manipulate the preseason and get out of it what he really needs. Now, I know you, for patsfans.com, Steve, do a wonderful job of breaking down the fifty three, the projected 53-man roster. A lot of people do it. I think you have one of the best projections out there. And I urge fans to go to patsfans.com and check out your project, your weekly projections on what the roster will look like. We want to talk uh, a little bit now about the back end of the roster. And some of the players, you know, they could be rookies, they could be rookie free agents, or just veteran newcomers who are going to be trying to, like, mad in these last three weeks to earn a roster spot. Who sticks out to you? Well, you know, uh, I think the one guy that sticks out to everybody has been Austin Carr. You know, um, we,
1: we watched him early in training camp. He he, uh, he he seemed to shine every day. He'd have a couple of big impact plays every day. And then he went through a little bit of a, a, a day or two where he was having trouble getting some separation, but then he's picked it back up. I thought last week against the Jaguars he was um, – he was outstanding in both practices. I, I really liked what I saw from him, and then of course in the game, you know, he had the big catch in the end zone from Jimmy Garoppolo during the two minute drill. I think that was uh, that was fantastic. That's the kind of the play you look for in a veteran. So um, you know, for a guy like Carr who was undrafted that he didn't hurt his chances at all last week. I really liked what I've seen from him. You know, another guy who's who's really up against it, he seems to make plays every day from the secondary, is Kenny Moore. You know, it seems like every day we're writing something about Kenny Moore. He made a really nice play breaking up a pass, and he's going to have a real tough time of making this roster as well. Well, I'll I'll give you another name, and
0: obviously his name was all over the place after... Uh, the Jacksonville game, and that's Jacob Hollister, six catches on eight targets for 115 yards. He didn't find the end zone, but he took some hits that were absolutely brutal and Gronk-esque. I mean, hits that would make Rob Gronkowski and his brother Glenn both uh, blush on the sidelines. I mean, they, they were just really brutal hits, and he held on to the ball, and, you know, if you're evaluating talent and you're evaluating players' ability to get open and really um, make a play when the play's there to be made, that has to stick out to you.
1: He's a really good kid, and uh, you get to talk with him. And I said to him, I was like, hey, you know, when you were in Wyoming, they kind of stretched the field down the seams with you, and he just started laughing at the time because he's like, right now all I want a chance to do is get out and play. It doesn't matter to me what they asked me to do. But, uh, yeah, it would be kind of sweet. And then in the first preseason game, they, they attacked the seams with this guy. And that's what he does. I mean, you know, he's not a big tight end in the Gronk mold. He, he's more of a move tight end. Uh, he's not a big guy, you know, as tight ends go. But uh, I was really happy what I saw from him. And uh, he, he's really excited for his chance. When we talked to him after practice, he mentioned the 15 or 16,000 people that were there at, at, at the Patriots' uh, training camp. And he said that's what they used to get in Wyoming for a home game. So,
0: <laughs> Well, I mean, it's just such a great story to see a guy like that, uh, Jacob Hollister, uh, get an opportunity. And when he gets the opportunity, he makes plays that really make your eyes pop a little bit. And that's what you got to do uh, if you're an undrafted player. Uh, like he is, uh, you know, to to make an NFL roster. Yeah, and uh, I, I again, I, I don't think he hurt his
1: chances at, at, at all with what we saw on Thursday night against the Jaguars. In fact, you know, with O'Shaughnessy you know, and Matt Langle banged up a little bit, you know, uh, he could conceivably, you know, work his way into that third tight end position. Eventually, it'll come down to what Bill wants, and, You know, we we know this. I mean, does he want that third tight end to be a blocking guy, you know, a big body that he can put into the offensive line as an extra lineman, or would he rather have another guy that could be a weapon in the passing game? And if that's the case, then, you know, his chances of making the roster go up really, really high.
0: Uh, Any other players that stick out to you, whether they're veterans or not, uh, who may be a surprise cut. I know a lot of people have thrown out the name. Coney Ely is somebody who, boy, does not look uh, for the life of him that he is, like, engaged in what the Patriots are trying to coach him in terms of how they edge rush, but how you also have to back off into coverage uh, if need be. I, You know, I'd heard stories that, um, you know, coaches have told him, this is the way i We want you to do it, and he answers by saying, well, um, I'm not used to doing it this way. This is the way I did it in Carolina, and they come back and tell him, well, we don't care what you did in Carolina. This is the way we do it here. (laughs) We've got five rings um, of credibility behind us and five Vince Lombardi's uh, in the trophy case behind us in terms of credibility. This is the way we want you to do it.
1: Yeah, and you know he he just looks very uncomfortable here. I know they're asking him to do a lot of different things. They they haven't played a lot on the inside, and he just does not look comfortable. Um, you know uh, he he's been a I guess you could say a pretty big disappointment up to this point. But a couple of the other guys who've been here for a while, um, Jordan Richards. After a, you know he got up to a kind of a nice start the first couple of days of training camp. He made a couple of plays. I just think he's, uh, he's he dropped way off again.
0: and He's I, definitely I'm, on the bubble. And i got to tell you, and I know there was a lot more to the play than just Jordan Richards taking a bad angle. But um, that Corey Grant 79-yard run uh, against the Patriots on Thursday night, Jordan Richards got way too close to the line of scrimmage uh, in a situation where he didn't have anybody behind him. And once he got beat to the corner... It was off to the races, and, you know, that's a little thing, maybe, in a preseason game to some fans, but to the coaches, that's a big, big deal, because this is his third year in New England.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it wasn't just him. Uh, Landon Roberts chose the wrong gap, and, uh, you know, once he did that, then, you know, (laughs) the the hole was wide open, so it it was a failure on more than one one level as far as the defense was concerned. And Roberts is another guy. I mean, at times he makes those big splash plays. He's very physical. He's a downhill guy. The fans love those big hits that he makes in the running game. But, you know, he often guesses wrong where the gaps there are to fill. And watching him, uh, he has as many negative plays as there are positive ones. I know he's only in his second year, but, you know, he's another guy that could be on the bubble this year because of the, uh, you know, the addition of Harvey Lange.
0: Well, that that's an excellent point. But I would say, in defense of a Landon Roberts, he was at his best last year when he had uh, the likes of uh, Donta Hightower on the field with him at the same time. Because you know, when you have somebody back there quarterbacking the defense who knows where you're supposed to be. Um, I think, you know, that frees up a Landon Roberts uh, to be a lot more successful. Well, I want to thank you, Steve, for taking time out uh, on my uh, maiden voyage, uh, if you will, on the Patriots Beat podcast here on CLNS Media. Uh, It's really been a pleasure talking with you. Where can fans hit you up on on the Internet or online or wherever you want to go to (laughs) learn more about what you uh, have to offer?
1: Well, they can find me on Twitter at uh, at SteveB7SFG. That's my Twitter handle. And you can find me on patsfans.com. I write there. And uh, I write some for a military magazine as well. And, um, you know, it tries to keep me busy. But, uh, Mike, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure talking to you and, you know, sharing our experiences down at training camp.
0: You got it, Steve. We will talk soon.
1: All right. Thank you.